Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. The podcast today is a sermon from our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today we're looking at the fruit of faithfulness. I hope you enjoy. So we're looking this week at faithfulness as uh, the next topic of our uh, study through the, the, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just going to, I don't know if I can, can I record this meeting? Here we go. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, start by telling you a story that uh, I love to tell. And so many of you have probably heard this story before, but I don't really care. It's one of my favorite stories because it's about my wife. And there is a great story I have from about the time that I began to know Debbie pretty well as a friend. Uh, we had known each other for almost a year at this point, probably like 10 or so months at this point. And we decided uh, to, with a couple other friends, go at night after we finished our exams, I believe it was. I think we'd finished our exams for the semester. Uh, and as celebration, we wanted to go to this cliff and jump off of it into the ocean. Uh, and it's something I had done many times uh, in the past because I lived kind of near to there at one point uh, of my life. And so I'd gone there quite often. Uh, but the other people, including Debbie, had never been to these cliffs. And uh, it's scary enough during the day to jump off these cliffs. But at night, it's even more scary. So anyway, I convinced them to do this. Like, we get to these cliffs. Uh, and the, the, the cliff we're on is probably about seven or eight meters above the, the water. And uh, I jump in first to show them it's safe. Splash, no problem. Next person jumps in, next person jumps in. But I had said before we get down, before we started jumping at all, like, I'm not going to get out of the water until everyone's jumped in because the way to get climb back up the cliff was quite specific. And so I needed to teach them how to do it and sort of follow the leader was the easiest way to do that. So I was waiting in the water till everyone jumped and Debbie was the last one to jump, which was a mistake. But she was up there and she was just on the edge of the cliff and she was paralyzed. She didn't know whether she was going to jump or not. She was right there staring down at it. And in her mind, like there's just a stalemate going on. On one hand, it's this, you know, she had a genuine desire to jump and to experience uh, that thrill. But on the other hand, there was the fear of getting hurt or a real fear that she kept asking me about, about sharks. <laughs> Is it going to be, am I going to get eaten by a shark? Uh, which was a small possibility, but very, very small. Uh, and anyway, so this is going back and forth in her head and she can't decide whether she wants to jump or not. And, and for like quite a while, all of us are in the water now getting a bit cold. Eventually, she looks behind her and sitting really close behind her uh, on a rock is this fat rat that was just staring at her. And as soon as she saw the rat, the, you know, this is a whole new equation. Uh, and, you know, the, the pros and cons of jumping are completely shifted. And she just jumps off this cliff because her desire to get away from this disgusting rat uh, outweighed any other thought in her head. It was far greater than her fear. And so I love my wife for her sense of adventure and because she makes me laugh so much. And I love the fact that I get to tell that story. And the reason I tell it is because I think there's an illustrative moment in there which is about how we are faced with choices on a daily basis of which way to go. And we can do it in a moment, 
but we do have to weigh the pros and cons of our actions and decide based on what we think is the most appropriate course of action. And we use all kinds of factors to make these decisions. Now, we don't get to choose whether or not we have to choose. We are confronted with decisions that we have to make. We're confronted with having to go this way or that way in small and in big ways. We will be confronted with this. And this ties into faithfulness, because for Christians, a lot of the times, we're confronted with a choice as to whether to follow Jesus and to obey Him in what He's asking us to do, or to sin and disobey Him. That's the choice that we are given. It's not always the choice. Sometimes both options are perfectly fine. But we're promised in Scripture that we are never ever, <coughs> excuse me, we're never ever presented with a choice that it is impossible to go the right way. That, you know, sin, sin. You know, there's no option not to sin. That is not true. We are told in Scripture that God never tempts us beyond what we can bear. And also, or sorry, never, well, we're never put into temptation beyond what we can bear. And also uh, that uh, whenever, whatever situation we're in, there's always a way out. There's always a way that we can go forward. So there's always the, a way that we can stay faithful. But it will require conscious effort, even a wrestle and a fight. There's something inside us that will beg to go one direction away from God. There's certainly uh, all kinds of external pressure that will push itself upon us in order to, to pull us away from God. And so to be a consistent Christian in this world will require faithfulness. It's simply a requirement. And faithfulness is listed among the fruit of the Spirit. It's right there where we can see uh, faithfulness is something that, and as we've been discussing what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, what is the Holy Spirit producing within us as we live a Spirit-filled life, as we, as we continue to submit ourselves to God and to follow His leading, what is the Holy Spirit producing within us? And one of the things is faithfulness. And the, the, sort of just to address a question quickly, uh, that word that is translated in this, in this Galatians chapter 5 as faithfulness uh, is the same word for faith. So it could mean faith or it could mean faithfulness. And there's not a huge distinction between those two ideas, but there is some distinction between them. Uh, and the reason that most commentators choose faithfulness is because it fits really well in with the context. The context uh, is talking about these sort of moral attributes um, and these virtues and faithfulness is, is far more considered a, a virtue than faith is. Uh, but there's a lot of crossover between the two. Uh, one great uh, quote that uh, Eugene Peterson <clears throat> uh, said when he's trying to describe faithfulness was long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. That's how he would describe faithfulness. And that is a fruit of the Spirit in our life. And I would say it, there is a lot of evidence in Scripture that can back up this claim. The claim that this is what the Holy Spirit is working on in our lives. One of the greatest roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our life is to ground us in the faith. To ground us in Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, we see this work of the Holy Spirit being described in our life. First uh, John chapter 2:27 says this, <clears throat> "But the anointing, that's the Holy Spirit, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, 
and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, as, and as it is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the teaching of the Holy Spirit is to teach us to abide in Christ, teaching us to stay grounded, to remain in him. And so this is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life, teaching us to stay in Christ. But to do so will require on our part what is certainly a felt reality of courage. It will take courage to remain faithful. It will take uh, a wrestling with ourselves and with this world to stay faithful. And I would say that courage and faith or faithfulness are almost the same thing. They're not really that different. What it takes to be courageous is something akin to faith. And we are called to be courageous as Christians. We actually, in Revelation, uh, the cowards are condemned along with many of the other, what we would think of typical, typical uh, bad people, um, are, are judged by God and, and cowards are grouped in amongst that group as well. We need to be courageous as Christians. We need to be faithful. And I think those two ideas go hand in hand. And there's an amazing story in the book of Daniel that I wanted to spend most of our time together talking about tonight. It's in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, and we don't have time to look at the whole story, but I, I really encourage you to read it, uh, especially maybe the first uh, eight or nine chapters of Daniel. It's a really amazing story. And what we find in there is, uh, so Babylon in this point of history, Babylon had come in and essentially had kind of conquered Jerusalem at this point. They hadn't destroyed it, but what they'd broken into Jerusalem, subdued it, and as a way of punishing them, and also as a way of strengthening the Babylonian Empire, they had taken away the best and the brightest in Jerusalem at this time. So they had taken away this group of people uh, that were highly skilled and, and you know, sort of the noble class, uh, and they had essentially put them in slavery. But they enslaved them in such a way that they wanted to train them for use in the kingdom. And so we meet up in the story with a group of young teenage boys, really, that have been taken away into captivity, into Babylon, and they're put into this training camp so they can be used by the royal courts uh, to, to do certain things once they were ready. And we, we meet these four Jewish boys uh, chief among them is Daniel, but he doesn't actually picture in the story that we're looking at today. Uh, but we meet up with them when they refuse to, to eat non-kosher food. Where they, they, you know, they're given meals to eat and they refuse. They say no. Uh, and God blesses them for this decision. It's, 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 it's its own story that I encourage you to read. Uh, but God gives them favor. Uh, they are able to, to rise up in the ranks to be seen as the most competent, the most gifted of all. Uh, and they continue to stay strong in this foreign land, this land that had very pagan religious practices, uh, a huge uh, uh, polytheistic society in which the temptation to just kind of do your own thing would have been very, very strong. They, they're there. Another character that is very prominent in the book of Daniel is this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a strong, powerful, military type of king. He expanded the empire greatly. He was certainly not stupid. He was a smart man, but he was also very prideful. And because of the pride, pride can often lead us to some very dumb decisions as well. And so he was prideful, and as an extension of that, did 
silly things, but also his wrath was furious. If you crossed him, it was you were going to be destroyed in an instant by his wrath. And so here we've set the scene. We have these teenage Jewish boys who are trying to stay faithful in a foreign land, and we have this powerful and terrifying king. And we enter into the story where the king, uh, under the suggestion of, of some of his other um, counselors, I suppose, has erected this giant idol. And he says, everyone is going to worship this idol. So he gathers this massive party together, and this is huge, huge idolatrous statue that's been erected. And, he sa and the edict goes out. When the music stops, there's going to be this great, great music, and when the music stops, everyone bows. Everyone must bow down uh, and worship this idol. And he does this probably to try to kind of unite the, the, <clears throat> the kingdom under one kind of religious banner. And there's, there's some smartness there in terms of a political move. But uh, really what he's asking for is it's, it's wild <laughs> what he's asking for. But the, the party is there. Everyone's there. It's the party of the century. Uh, there's all kinds of instruments playing. And when they, st when they stop, you got to bow down, and if you don't bow down, the edict goes out. You're going to get burned in the furnace. We're going to get thrown into the furnace. So the moment comes, the moment where the music stops and everyone has to bow, and these three boys, Daniel's not mentioned in the story, but these three boys do not bow. They don't. They stay strong. And they do so as an act of defiance against the king, against, and they do so in front of all of these officials. And so obviously they are very soon found out and they are brought before the king. And so we're going to pick up in the story in Daniel chapter 3 what happens next. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse so the verse is going to be a little bit of a recap, but here we go. Uh, Therefore, at that, certain, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So, that, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now if you are ready, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who is able to deliver you out of my hands? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And we're going to stop there. And there's a reason we're going to stop there. Don't worry. I understand it's a, it's a strange place to stop. But what do we see here? We see an example of people who stay strong and stay faithful. Can you imagine the pressure that would have been on them to perform? It's important that we put ourselves into the story where there were three people among thousands that would have decided not to bow. The social pressure to perform was there. They knew their lives were on the line. Can you imagine the pressure within them to just do it? Just do it. I mean, I can almost hear the kind of reasoning that, they, that you could fall into just to think to yourself, you know what, I'll just bow down, but I'll pray to God as I'm bowing down and that'll make it okay. Or to think like, oh, I, I don't think that God would want me to die right now. I think, no, no, God would want me to live. So, so I'll, I'll bow uh, so that I can live and then, then I'll uh, continue to witness uh, to what God wants me to witness to and, and you know, help these Babylonians to see, to see uh, the Lord. Uh, and so I'll do it just this once. I'll bow down just this once. And, you know, this is a, this is a polytheistic society. Uh, there is a huge pressure to, to just to not care about loyalty to one God alone uh, and to not, for them to not be influenced by this and to give in to that, uh, to, to instead stand, even though it's going to cost them uh, a huge social upset, cost them their lives. Uh, at, you know, it's, it's a lot that they are coming against in this moment. And we should be able to recognize this pressure in our own lives, maybe not to the same extent, but our values and our ethics as Christians are not the same as the world. We are in a similar position being foreigners in a foreign land. We need to come to terms with the fact that there's going to be pressure from outside and pressure even from within. You know that when you look at a lot of these uh, like lists of the top fears that people have, where you know, they'll, they'll survey people and say, what's your greatest fear? Always at the top or near the top of the list is the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection, uh, people casting you away, people, you know, you being a social outcast. That is one of the top fears in our society. And so you can, we, we are affected by that. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. And so, so often faithfulness to God, if it puts us at odds with the people around us, we have this terrible reaction to it. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. And so we can feel from our heart, we can feel from the world around us, this pressure to just, you know, to just bow, to just do what people are asking us to do. And, and, and maybe we try to uh, use different excuses to, to get away with it, but that's the pressure that we feel within us. There's uh, all kinds of ways that this can come out. It can come out in our professional life where we can feel the pressure to just kind of skirt the, skirt the rules and go around the system and, and maybe just exaggerate a little bit to get the account or, or maybe just slander someone a little bit in order to boost your own chances of promotion. Uh, we can feel this in our school life, you know, when something happens and uh, you know to stick your neck out will put you on the, you know, put you on the, the radar in terms of the, the professor not liking you or your classmates not liking you. Uh, there's ways that we're called to live as Christians even when life gets busy, 
you know, when, when the, the pressure to balance work with uh, spiritual life uh, comes up and we will so often choose to, to you know, l follow on and give all our energy to one and not the other. Uh, even in marriage and, and in relationships, to, to do things God's way can be very difficult. It, it requires faithfulness to, to abstain from sex till marriage, to even within a marriage, to, to practice the type of spiritual edification that you're called to and, not, and instead not get caught up with uh, the day-to-day -day life as, as it unfolds and, and how demanding it can be. There's all of these different ways and small ways and big ways that we're called to be faithful and, and it can be incredibly hard at times to not listen to the excuses that we make or not listen to the pressure that we have uh, all around us to, to just do it, to just perform. You know, we are good at making up justifications. We're good at uh, trying to skirt around the truth, but at the core of it, we need to come to grips with the fact that Christianity is a costly thing, that it costs. You know, First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, you know, if, if it weren't for the resurrection, if, if the resurrection never happened, if it was a lie, we ought to be pitied among every, like we're the most pitiable, pitiful of all. Because we are living in such a way that we sacrifice a tremendous amount in the hope that what it will bring. And if that, what we hope for is a lie, then man, are we to be pitied. We shouldn't live with this idea that Christianity is, is going to lead to a good, a good in a material sense life. Sure, there's a tremendous amount of joy and peace that come as Christians, but there's also a tremendous amount of sacrifice. There's a tremendous amount of dying to yourself that's required as well. And that can be very hard. That can be very confronting. It can put, bring us into conflict with ourselves and with others as well. And I do think that God wants to give us a life of joy and contentment and purpose. But that's very different from the good life. Because the good life, how we define it, is very, very different from the way that God would define it. God desires more than to give you the good life. He desires that you would be faithful in all situations. He doesn't necessarily care about giving you a nice job, a good degree, relaxing downtime, uh, a bunch of friends, a peace with the world. What he cares about more than that is that you would follow him. And when we choose those things, when we choose to have a cushy job or a cushy life, or when we choose those against him, what we are revealing to ourselves is that we still, in the core of who we are, believe the same lie that Adam and Eve believed back in the garden, which was the lie that if I fully trust God, He's going to hurt me. If I fully trust God, He's going to let me down. That God is not to be trusted. When He calls us to listen to Him and to obey Him and to follow His ways, we fear that He doesn't actually have our best interests at heart. And to do what he's calling us to do will hurt me, will bring me boredom or dissatisfaction, will really, in, in a nutshell, not be to my best interest. That is the lie that we believe. It's the same lie that the serpent told to Adam and Eve, basically. And that's the lie that we believe as well. To overcome this, we need to trust in God. We need to trust in a God who we have come to realize absolutely does have our best interest at heart. When we are uh, tempted to give up, 
to, to not remain faithful anymore. We're tempted often because we've forgotten one of two things. We've forgotten the love of God or we've forgotten the power of God. We, forgot, we forget the love of God in the sense that we, we forget that we're sinners saved by grace. We forget the extent that He's already gone to save us. And if a God that loving calls us to trust Him, it's foolish not to. If a God that full of grace is calling us to follow Him, then how ridiculous would it be for us to, to not trust the one who's already done so much? Or we forget that God is in control and God is ultimately the most powerful. We forget that this world is, is His to command and, and maybe, we'll, maybe life will go well for us, it, it, materially speaking, maybe it won't. But we know that He holds ultimate reality in His hands and therefore He can be trusted. He sees things and is able to do things that we certainly cannot. And I'm not saying that to live as a Christian is going to cost you all of these great things like a job and a car and a whatever else, friends, but it might. Certainly it has for Christians in the past. It cost them tremendously to remain faithful to God. And we are no different. We're not called to any special, you know, error of time. We're not called to any privileged position that we can expect to be above persecution or above chaos and difficulty. We should expect that it will come from time to time. And we will be faced with the same tempting decisions that even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go, where their faithfulness might cost them their very lives. But we see that these three boys, these three men, are faced with a decision, obedience on one hand, obedience to God, and on the other hand, maintaining their life, maintaining their position, maintaining the favor that they have, maintaining the peace they have with the, the nation. Obedience alone. And all of this on the other side. And they choose obedience. They choose to obey God in that. They understand that to live for God is gain, even when all else is lost. And you see in Philippians chapter 1 that Paul says that to live is Christ, to die is gain. It wasn't a new idea. You see it written in the Bible way before Christ comes that we live in such a way that we should be ready to abandon all of life's pleasures if it means we have to, if that's what obedience costs. And so they make the choice. They know the consequences. And then and in the rest of the chapter, we find the amazing thing that happens next. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered that the furnace heat be heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered that some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning furnace. These men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed the men who, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, they, and these three men uh, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered them and said, But I see four men unbound and walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, 
Servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then they came out from the fire. And the satraps, the, pre, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no had not had excuse me, and that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hairs of their head were not singed, the cloaks were not harmed, there was no smell of fire upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed is the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I will make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's an amazing story. An amazing story of the, this, this loving rescue of God and how he blesses uh, them in this incredible way. And, and you know, the effects of this have such a huge ripple effect. We see, look at the results. An idolatrous king, a prideful king, honors God and, and, and admits humbly that he that he should have been disobeyed because God was more powerful and and the best it comes out of the situation in the fact that God is honored as a result king issues a decree if anyone bad mouths the God of these men you know the true God then they should be ripped from limb to limb this is you know a really violent sentiment but but still that he would have such a high esteem for God from this point and I'd love to talk more about the deliverance that they experienced because it's so amazing. But those who are astute among you may have noticed that I actually skipped one verse between my two readings, and that was verse 18. And, and verse 18, I think, is the key to everything that we're talking about tonight. So I'm going to reread Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to what uh, the king said to them. And I'll start back in 16. This is the whole of what they said. <clears throat> I didn't read the whole of it before, but I'm going to read the whole of it now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the, from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's the, here's the key part. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That verse right there shows me that these three men, their, their obedience to God was resting in something far deeper than simply God's ability to get, out of it, get them out of the jam that they were in. Their obedience to God was for God's own sake. And so what they exhibit here is, I would say, two things. They exhibit faith and faithfulness at the same time. The first thing they say is, is an example of faith, where they say, we are confident that God will, is able to rescue us out of these, this fire. But then the second thing they said is, in the event that He doesn't, and that we get thrown in this fire and we burn and die, we certainly do not want you to think that our life or our decision was a failure. Because if God decides to not intervene and rescue us, we still will die happily for Him. And that is faithfulness. 
They went forward, not after a blessing, not after a miracle, certainly confident that God can do a miracle, but they made their decision based purely on the desire to stay faithful to God. God himself was worth dying for. Why? Because he was the one true God. He is the master of all. He deserves praise in all seasons. I want to read you a quick excerpt out of a book that um, went to this as well. <clears throat> uh, this is uh, from uh, Casey Covell as well. I, I seem to be uh, quoting this person a lot recently, but when we are wholly convinced of something, we cannot continue to lie to ourselves about it. The Hebrew trio stands for their God because they have experienced his power through their captivity. He is real to them. And so this idol they are told to worship is not only false, but blasphemous to the reality of the true God, the God they have fully dedicated themselves to. The decision they make to remain faithful to God is because God has become so real to them that he, they have seen his faithfulness to them so, so many times. And so when the choice comes to remain faithful to God, they cannot bear the thought not to, because God has done so much for them. They live for God, for God's own sake, because it's right to do so, because this is what God deserves. He deserves our everything because of who he is and because of what he has done, his faithfulness to us, he deserves everything. What's fascinating about this story is their faithfulness is, is completely unprompted. If you think about it in terms of a prompting from the Lord, and it reminds me of the story of David and Goliath. You know the story of David and Goliath, when David goes up against Goliath, he has no word from the Lord, he has no assurance that his life's going to go, his life's going to be spared and he's going to win in this fight. He, God hasn't come down and specially told them anything. In the same way, these, these men, no one had, God hadn't sent them a messenger to say, look, if you do this, everything's going to be okay, so just trust me. They were doing what they did primarily because they just knew what was the right thing to do. And so regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost, they decided this is who we are. History is full of incredible stories of Christians who have stepped up in times of persecution and have exhibited amazing faithfulness to God, not based on any assurance that, thing will go, that things will go well, but because God is worthy of faithfulness. There's an amazing story of a person who <clears throat> I'm sure many of you have never heard of before. Uh, he's uh, somewhat of a hero uh, around uh, Christians in Africa. But uh, outside of Africa, it's not very much at all. His name is Janani Lewum, and he was the Archbishop of Uganda uh, and during the, the reign of Idi Amin. And Idi Amin uh, was a tyrant. He was this terrible, terrible uh, person who, I mean, he, he killed thousands of people. And he forcibly exiled an entire ethnic group of people out of his country because he hated them. And the Archbishop, uh, this uh, Janani Lewum, he, uh, he knew he couldn't remain silent. He was vocally opposed to uh, Idi Amin. And he wrote a statement declaring that what you are doing is wrong in the eyes of Almighty God. And he did so knowing that this would most likely cost him his life. And so he writes this letter and he is accused of treason. He is publicly declared guilty and 
and then he was in secret uh, murdered, uh, and his death was covered up. He, when they eventually released his body after after his death, uh, people noticed that there were signs of torture all over it, and even though they lied about his cause of death, it was obvious that he was murdered. You know, it's it's similar, in a lot of ways, to the story of Dan, of you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. This man standing up to the king, in a sense, except that God didn't spare his life. God didn't act in the same way. He obeyed. He was faithful, and yet he paid. He paid with it for his life. And that was his. That was the the facts of the matter, that differ, but. Ultimately, in the day, we see this amazing coincidence—not coincidence, but but similarity between these two stories. Because when uh, Janani Lawum was finally able to be memorialized, tens of thousands of people came up to to memorialize him, even though he'd been branded as a traitor and and all kinds of lies had been said about him. People didn't believe the lies. People didn't care. They didn't they didn't care about the official story. They knew that this man was right, that he was honorable, and that Idi Amin was a tyrant. And we see today, Janali Wulawum is recognized as a martyr, he is honored, he is remembered, and Idi Amin is remembered as an evil man. God's truth is honored. God's way of life is honored. That in the wake of his death, Still, what we see is God's kingdom being built, God's <clears throat> people being honored as a result. And that's what makes the story quite similar. We're, call, we're called to make the most of the days we're given. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. You know, this, this world, in a lot of ways, is against God. That There's a lot that happens in this world. There's a lot of... <clears throat> Uh, social structures. There's a lot of uh, different w- different things in this world that are very much opposed to God. Not only societally uh, and within our own hearts and the the structures of sin all around us, but also spiritually. There's a very evil spiritual world uh, that has invaded this world too. And faithfulness, this thing that God desires from us, this thing that the Holy Spirit is producing and with within us. Really, when we do it right, we're doing it in a world that has set itself against God and and God and the, and is opposed to it. That they're adversaries, in a sense. It reminds me of Psalm twenty-three. Psalm twenty-three says that God sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies, and it's a sign of of Him honoring us and Him, you know, blessing us far beyond what we could, what we deserve. But as we, as we remain faithful to Him, as we answer the call to praise Him and to obey Him, we're bringing praise to His name, we're bringing glory to His name, we are building His kingdom quite literally in the presence of His enemies. And as we continue to stand in this world for God, we stand up to a world that is opposed to Him, and we are doing what He offers to do for us. We are setting a table for Him in the presence of his enemies. We're giving him honor. We're giving him the, the worship and the respect that he is worthy of. We can live lives that do that. We can live lives that have that type of strength to them.
And it is absolutely worth dying for. It's absolutely worth being faithful to God, considering all he's done for us. This is the amazing opportunity that we've been given to burn our lives out for his glory. I want to end today with a reading from the book of Jude, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Jude's only one chapter, so you just say the verse. Jude, verse 24. And it's this. Now to, him to, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. Let that be the call of our lives, to continue to give ourselves up to lay down our lives and be faithful to the one who is able to do and has done so much for us already, that our faithfulness be an extension of his faithfulness to us. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, you can look at peoplesmontreal.org there you'll find out more about the church and more about our young adults ministry CU20 you can also find past sermons and different resources to help you grow in your Christian faith if you'd like to reach out to us you can find contact information there too have a great day and thank you for listening